Welcome to Steppin' Out, the 12-step meeting on the air. Tonight you'll meet real people with true stories of addiction and recovery. And now, Steppin' Out. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Steppin' Out, America's 12-step meeting on the air. I'm Denise M., and we're broadcasting this show from New York City, where our meeting today will focus on alcohol addiction. So with that said, let's go to our first guest. Hi, welcome. Hi, my name is Tommy. I'm an alcoholic. Hi, Tommy. Thank you for asking me to speak today. Um, I'll get right to my story. I was born in Staten Island, New York City, a very alcoholic household. It was it was part of my growing up. The bar was stocked with all kinds of different booze, and I used to sneak drinks from there. Um, I had my first drink at the age of 11. It was when I'm a, I was raised Catholic, so when I was when I had my confirmation, my father said, here, you're a man now. Gave me a bourbon and ginger ale. Took the first sip, and I remember asking if I can have another one. <laughs> yeah, so I was definitely ready for uh, making my way to this trip of alcohol addiction. Um, I got totally hammered one night on wine with friends of mine when I was 13 years old. And that's where pretty much where I took off to the races. And uh, came in, climbed up the front steps of my house. My mother beat the daylights out of me. I didn't feel a thing. The bed spun when I slept. I was all, 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 over the, all over the place. I was very drunk. And the next morning, instead of being punished, my mother felt I was punished enough because of my hangover. So, again, it was okay to be drunk. Twice. So, um, and that's pretty much where it started at the age of 13. My drinking, my high school years was spent less in school and more buying quarts of beer and sitting in parks near the school with friends. Using other things too, but we'll just stick with alcohol today because it's about alcohol. This show, and um, so I, I used to—I I was drinking daily by the age of fifteen, sixteen, seventeen. I was drinking all the time. Dropped out of school, got a job in a restaurant. My father had lost his job, and he was spent most of his time sitting on a couch watching old movies on Channel Nine, which used to have the old four o'clock movies and stuff. So, I went out to work, and I worked six days a week in a diner, making about three. 300 bucks, and that was back in the late 70s. So that was pretty good money for a kid. You know, for a 16 year old kid to have 300 bucks in his pocket. So on my one night off, I would venture into Manhattan, and at that time the legal age was younger. It was 21 now, it was 18 then, and I looked apart, so I rarely got ID'd. If I did, I'd just move on to someone who let me in the front door. And that, then I'd become popular, they would let them know me, become, you know, a regular, and never, never got caught and always got drunk. So. One day a week at 16, 17, 18, as long as I worked in that restaurant, it was all about, you know, my day off, I'm going to get drunk. I'll see your dad, see your mom, you know. <clears throat> my father was the primary example of an alcoholic in my family now that I know what this is. And I guess I got the genetic predisposition that they described another time. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> there is there is something to if you grow up in it, you're going to become it. There is something to that. So... My alcohol kind of messed up the rest of my life, though, for a long time. I I hit a skid that progressed in a pretty fast fashion. But I came into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous by the time I was 28 years old. I had entered Alcoholics Anonymous, and that's pretty young, you know. I know people are coming yeah, younger, that's but that's yeah, that's pretty young stuff. So, for me to to get to a place where I need to stop drinking by the by the time I'm 28 years old, you know, that's my story is, uh, I got some more stories, but it's, it's a bit of a, what 
you know, came in at the at the end of my the end of my rope. I had nothing left. I had lost everything that I, all personal possessions, family contacts, everything was gone from my life. Um, I was homeless, living on the streets of New York City for about five years, wow. <clears throat> um, because of alcohol. And it was a slow progression. Work was taking a backseat. And when I was 22, I had gotten into the New York City Police Academy. I took the exam, passed, and got in the academy. And I stayed only about two and a half months because my drinking was more important. You know, it was more important to drink than it was to continue, continue the academy. So then I ran out to California for two years after that. When I left the academy after two and a half months, which is a six-month academy, mm-hmm. then I run back to L.A. and stay out there. My parents had split prior to that, and my father lived out there, so I went and even though I didn't really like him very much, I still chased him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I still chased the old man. Um, <clears throat> and there, all the controls were off. I really, really went crazy with drinking and drugging, but mostly drinking. I was hit the bars every night. I knew the bars. I, knew, I again, made friends with people in the bars, got, became the popular New Yorker guy. You know, that was mm-hmm. my nickname. Hey, New York, how you doing? Yeah, back me up. Give me another one. And L.A. was where, where I really lost control. That was it. And when I came back two years later, the you know I, I didn't come back to New York City thinking of maybe it would be okay. I came back and picked up right where I left off in L.A. I was still out of control. And I skidded here in New York. I ended up in the streets. I slept, spent the night at World Trade Center sleeping on the floor. I got woken up by outreach workers and was put into a shelter. My first AA experience, I went to a meeting in 1988. It was a friend of mine who I, well, let me back up. When I was staying in the shelter, I made friends with this guy who was also a drunk who went to the the meeting that is now my home group where I go to meetings on a regular basis. And I used to go with him because I wasn't an alcoholic, but he was, and he took me to open meetings, which is where anybody can come. You know, open meetings where anybody can come. So I'm sitting there watching this thing. And, you know, I I was like his support in the shelter. We were friends, you know. But I didn't have a problem yet, even though I'm living in a shelter. Emphasize the word shelter. No home, no job, poor, drunk every day. But I'm not an alcoholic. I'm still living in a shelter. And I'm fine. I'm not, on, I'm not in the subway yet, which is where I would go later. But, and I went to meetings with this guy. So I, when it was time for me, when I did finally realize I have a problem, I knew where to go. So my alcoholism put me in jail. I was sleeping in subway tunnels. I was one of those guys. I wasn't in the Grand Central thing. There's a book came out about Grand Central dwellers. I wasn't one of those folks, but I had subway tunnels, so it's the same thing. I slept in Central Park in the summer and the subways in the winter for five years, four years, four years. Was your family, like, did <clears throat> they know where you were? Or no? I dropped out of sight from them, too, because I didn't want them to see me like this. I was better mm-hmm. off. Plus, when I did contact them earlier, you know, before the street thing, it was only about getting money from them. You know, I'd see my mother at her job, and I'd get 20 bucks, 30 bucks, 50 bucks from her from time to time. Mm-hmm. But that was it. Holidays, they never saw me. Wow. Yeah, Christmas, New Year's, Thanksgiving, I never showed up for my family. I was just, wherever I was, that's where I was. Soup kitchens, I'd go get free food. And that's what brought me to the meetings, but I'll get to that in a minute. Um, so that skid, during that five-year period, I ended up in, like I said, I was in jail for trespassing, for fighting, for drunken public stuff, all kinds of things. And I even got in trouble for a big one. I tried to steal some money from a bank by finding a check on the ground that some company dropped, putting my name on it, sticking it in my bank account. 
and trying to get away with $12,000. Yeah, the sign's mine. You know, here you go. Yeah, stupid me, right? It's my money. So, of course, that didn't work, and I was, given, I was able to plea bargain to five years probation, which I violated and was locked up twice. Mm. Once when I first came, for once, when I, once during my recovery, my early recovery, which is like my first year of sobriety from alcoholism, I had to go back. Um, I'm going to close with that part, but let me just finish my, what it was like. So when, I fe- so when it was time for me to come in again, I knew where the meeting was. You know, living on the streets. And I walked into a room in 1988. I gave it a shot. It didn't stick that time. And it, t- it took me some effort, you know, a couple of times to come around before I finally realized I had to stop drinking, you know. Before the break, you asked me if I would talk about how I was able to get money. I did something pretty clever. I went to the American Bartending School <laughs> while I was living in the shelter. And I learned how to tend bar, and they have job placement assistance. <laughs> I also knew where all the showers were that I can go wash up. I would run to Central Park tennis courts and go wash up. I would run to the John Jay Pool on 59th and 10th Avenue and go wash up at the shower there. They had all these showers that I can access for free. So Smart. I always tried. To, I think the, the biggest part of why I never really thought I had a problem is because I didn't look like the skelly guy with the long beard and the mats mm-hmm. and all the walking around with 27 yeah, layers I mean, and 20 You can't bags. see him out there, but he, this guy looks great. I mean, he's handsome, clear-eyed, <laughs> just can't, you can't believe that, you know, you, you were living in the subways. Yeah. But anyway, well, I'm sorry it, for interrupting. It's okay. It's okay. So with, I, I used the job placement assistance. I worked for a couple of months here, a couple of weeks there. I, I, I probably went to every job that they had available for, like, new bartenders and restaurants all the time. And I always have maintained an appearance. It was hard. It was hard work. I had to live a double life. You think I'm okay. You don't know how I live, and that's fine. You know, I was able to keep my secret. I felt like Batman, except my alter ego was a homeless guy, you know, not a superhero. <laughs> by day, I'm you know Bruce Wayne, and by night, I'm you know Joe Schmo from Idaho. Who knows? So <clears throat> Joe Skell. So um, that's how I was able to maintain drinking. I was able to pay for my own, pretty much. And I hung out with people. We'd all chip in, and you know, I'd have a few bucks here. Some guys would panhandle. We'd all just hang together and get drunk at the subways. That's how I was able to maintain drinking, even though I didn't have a job. Well, I had jobs, but they short-lived. Mm-hmm. My resume, if I, if I were to write up my resume to, for every little thing, that I mean, I was always willing to work. Of course, alcohol just kept me from maintaining the work's lifestyle, you know, just the, the kind of lifestyle you need to have to work. I was mm-hmm. always able to work, though. And if I actually filled up my resume for every kind of job I had, it would look like the New York Times Sunday Classified. <laughs> I can probably get, excuse me, probably get every job there. But that's just grandiose thinking, I guess. I'll go back to that shelter. Because that's pretty much how I got into these rooms. Came around 1988. I, I stayed a couple of months, and I found another bartending job through the bartending school, and that led to another what we call a slip. Mm-hmm. Go back out drinking again. My slip was more like a relapse that lasted another 13 months. And during that year, I was locked up in jail for two months. I was still living in the street. Came out from jail and got drunk and continued to get into trouble and not put my act together. But I, made, I, I met some people. At that earlier, during that earlier visit to Alcoholics Anonymous, I won't even call it recovery because it wasn't. It was dry, what we call dry drunk. I was just there, but I wasn't really understanding what was going on yet. I wasn't ready yet to stop. When I went back, I was staying in a private shelter in the week, Christmas week. I just got into a private shelter. Like Christmas night was my first night in this private shelter, a church shelter. And by New Year's, I was still in the shelter. And if you lived in the shelter, you you got on a list to go to a church to get lunch. New Year's Eve was on a Sunday in 1989. This is my sobriety day. This is the day I stopped drinking. 
I had a sip of booze first that early morning, and, you know, of course, but that's still my sobriety day. It's my last day drinking. One sip, and I wanted the world. And I had one sip, and I, I don't know why I didn't have more that night. Well, I do know why, because I ended up in AA. I went to the lunch program, had lunch, mm-hmm. met some guys there who were talking about there's, another, there's more food at 2 o'clock, and the 2, the two o'clock food was at an AA meeting, having mm-hmm. a holiday party. And that's where the road started, because I went to that meeting, and I saw that people were celebrating their anniversary. And one person who was celebrating her anniversary was a person who had befriended me when I first, in 1988, so I sat there and I watched her. I, I, I couldn't tell you anything that anybody said that day. I'm, I'm so mocus, I couldn't remember a thing. But I, I remember <coughs> that in my head, I was finally under, this is where I understood, maybe if I try this, I won't be homeless anymore. This was the moment of clarity I had. The reason, finally turned everything around. And from that day forward, I haven't picked up a drink. And it was New Year's Day. New Year's Eve. New Year's Eve. Yeah, my my sober anniversary is coming up. You know, this is where we are now. My sober anniversary is in a couple of days. And that that whole thing, you know, it was was incredible that I had that, like, that white light experience, basically. Not a white light experience. I mean, I'm not a religious person. It's not about God. It's not about church. It's not about, you know, all that stuff. It's just the moment of clarity that all of a sudden, you know, my mindset just switched right at that moment, Mm -hmm. you know. And I went for food. Mm-hmm. Right. I went to go eat. Next thing I know, I'm sober. You know who knew? So, I'm going to talk a little bit about what what I had to endure early on because you know, our friends here, some some of the friends that know me, know that it was it was tough. But it just shows that there's a willingness involved. Once once this thing really takes hold, there's a willingness that has to be involved if you're going to be successful in recovery. Mm-hmm. I had a sister who oh, I stole money from her too. <laughs> I had a sister who died when I was in my early recovery. And I hadn't seen my family. I ended up contacting them by some fluke thing on TV that saw a news story that made me call to see if California was all right. And they were, but I found out my sister in New York wasn't. And I found out she had contracted the AIDS virus, and she died 10 days after I had gone to see her. I was Sorry. We, we do a 90-day count. When you get to 90 days, that's when your body's officially detoxed. Mm-hmm. So on my, on my 79th day, I found out she was dying. On my 88th day, she died. I still made it to my 90th day because I had already asked somebody if I could speak at their meeting for my 90. The mm-hmm. same meeting where I went for the food. Mm-hmm. That was my first time I did what I'm doing now, speaking about my, my addiction and my, my drug, my alcohol abuse. I, and I didn't drink during that time because I had the support of my friends in the AA rooms mm-hmm. that I go to, my home group especially. You know, I used to go every morning to a round-robin discussion, kind of like what we have here, mm-hmm. just a bunch of people sitting around talking about booze. And they helped me a lot. I didn't pick up the drink. You know? That's great. I had to go back to jail a month later after my sister died for two more months because of that old thing with the check. They still were looking oh. for me. I didn't settle that with them yet. <laughs> the, you know, I didn't settle my debts with the, with, the, you know, with the state of New York, so they took it. The day I walked into a turnstile for free, you're supposed to pay for the subway. I jumped a fare, and I had a warrant from that probation mm-hmm. thing with the check, and it all popped up, and they held me for two months. Wow. I got it cleared up, though, because that was the day when I came out of jail. In six months, I came out of jail. Mm-hmm. First thing I did this time, is instead of going for that drink like I did the year before, I went to my home group, my mm-hmm. A meeting that I go to. And I let everybody know I was back. I was home. And they said, welcome home. Wow. I was still homeless at the time. So for a homeless guy to hear welcome home, that's, you know, that's pretty grounding. And I continued my road to recovery from then, you know, got gotten good jobs now and so you got a home eventually. Yeah, I got a home eventually. I, I, my, my last, my first year in recovery, I was still homeless until. Yeah, well, did you stay with friends or? Did uh, you? I found friends to stay with as I was moving up the ladder of right. homelessness, destitution to 
to my own place. Took a took thirteen. It was like a, I guess it was April first. So April Fool's Day, I had a rent check. <laughs> I had a rent receipt on April Fool's Day <laughs> in 1991. <clears throat> so the year of 1990 was homeless. I was still out in the street. I was back and forth, couches, streets, subways, but it was a willingness mm-hmm. that I had. That I know, I knew from that day that I walked into that meeting, that if I do this right, I won't have to be homeless anymore. Mm-hmm. And I was willing to go. And what do you do today? What do you do today? Like well, now, I work on an ambulance. I'm an EMT. Wow. Uh, for great. eight and a half years, I worked serving the homeless population that I used to live with. I was going to say you probably yeah. see a lot of the people that you. Yeah, I do. And I you're did a great example. Sure. I mean, if they see, did you ever see people and say, well, "Oh my God, that's Tommy"? And I was able to get a couple of people into the rooms. It's great. During for my work, I was able to do that. I don't call it twelve step work because I was paid to do it, but I got mm-hmm. I got some people in. But you obviously, know, so you, you had an interest in that, and, yeah. and so you reach yeah. out and people see you as an example. Exactly. Well, Tommy, Tommy, thank you. Your story obviously was totally inspirational. So if anybody's out there and, and hears your story, I mean, if you can do it living in the subways, living in shelters, having no home, having no family, um, most of us have a little bit more than that. But if you took what you, what you had, which is literally nothing, and you know, what you've done today, it's great. So it's obviously, there's help out there. There's Alcoholics Anonymous. And I really thank you for your story. Thanks for asking me. Okay.